Today we are in Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 15. And we finish up a five-week uh, series on the teachings of Jesus. And if you think about this 100-week series that we're in, uh, dedicating five weeks out of that 100 weeks to what Jesus taught seems a little light, right? Just a little bit. But remember that we've got probably... 25 or 30 more weeks of the New Testament teaching, which is an expansion of what he taught. So we're not, this isn't the last time you'll see Jesus, I promise. See him quite a few more times in the rest of this series. So that's where we're at today. Uh, today's passage in Luke 15 is three different parables about things that are lost and things that are then found. Um, and one of the things I want you to be looking for as you go through this is the different aspects of how God works. Um, in the first parable, uh, the parable of the lost sheep, we see uh, this role of the shepherd going out and retrieving the sheep. And if you had to picture one member of the Godhead as a shepherd, which member of the Godhead would that be? The Sunday school answer, I teed it up. Jesus, right? Yeah, Jesus is the shepherd. And if you had to picture, the next parable is the parable of the lost coin. Um, and the lady that searches her house lights a light to find the coin. And if you had to think about one member of the Godhead that illuminates things, that would be the, the Holy Spirit, right? And then at the end, the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son, you see this picture of the father, I kind of gave the answer away there, sorry, with open arms receiving this wayward son back home. So Jesus in his illustration really kind of shows how all three members of the Godhead are engaged in this process of finding the lost, uh, which was, for me, something I had never seen before in this passage. So pretty, pretty neat stuff. But getting back to Luke 15, the, the idea of this passage, the, the key thought there on your handout, is that God cares about restoring relationships. Um, we've talked about this in the past where, you know, Genesis 1, everything's great. Genesis 2, everything's great. Genesis 3, the wheels fall off the bus. Right? The relationships are broken. The earth becomes separated from the path in which God had created it to take. Uh, we saw all these storms the last few weeks, and that is literally the earth groaning against what God had planned for it to do and to be. Um, so that's where it's at. So God cares about restoring relationships. Um, now I want you to see as we go through these three parables that there's a pattern to the parables. Uh, Jesus is all about doing things and building the stories that he tells. Um, he's a master, master storyteller. It just amazes me sometimes. People write books on not just what he wrote, but the method in which, not, not just what he said, but the method in which he said it. Uh, so he starts off with something very small, a sheep, and builds to a coin and ends up with a son. Now, the method here, the pattern here to these stories is there's a loss of something that's the smaller part. There's a search that continues until there's a find, and this search takes great effort. There's a homecoming, and then there's this community-wide celebration. So we'll see these three elements in all three of these stories. So, Luke chapter 15. Everybody there? Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, I found Luke. Yeah, whoop-de-doo, big deal. It's just the Bible, you know, it's no thing, right? It's only existed since eternity past. It'll only exist till eternity future. It's not like the Holy Spirit breathed into it, and it will always be alive, right? It's just the Bible. It's just whatever, okay? It's the Bible. I mean, holy cow. This is awesome. I can't believe they let me do this. So. 
Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Who is him? Jesus. So who drew near him? The sinners and the tax collectors, right? The upper echelons of Jewish society. I mean, these were the top dogs, right? When you were a little boy, you wanted to grow up and be a tax collector. A sinful tax collector, which is, they're synonymous, right? That's the way, pretty much. Yeah, these are, this is the bottom tier. Everybody hated these guys. Uh, and the Pharisees, verse 2, and the scribes complained. You know, it's actually hard to find a spot in the New Testament where the Pharisees and the scribes aren't complaining about something. It really is. It's, it's challenging to do that. If you look through and you read the scriptures looking for patterns of behavior by certain people, you'll see that these guys are just always throwing rocks. I mean, just always throwing rocks. So they complain, saying, This man, capital M, receives sinners and eats with them. So he, Jesus, spoke this parable to them. To who? Pharisees, right. The Pharisees and the tax collectors. This is directed at the guys that are throwing rocks. This is his rebuttal. And in Jewish society, if you wanted to have a, an intelligent conversation, this is how you would have a conversation. It was very question and answer like. You would ask me a question, and I would answer you with a, oh no, not just a question, a better question. And what you would, do you mean? exactly. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Is there an underlying principle behind what you're asking there? It, and here's, this, it would get so complicated that they would try to answer with Scripture. So if I wanted to communicate to you um, Exodus, verse, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, we're in the middle of the Ten Commandments there, okay? If I wanted to communicate to you Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, I would not quote Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. I would say, what do the first two verses of Exodus say? And you would be expected to know the first two verses and to understand that what I'm really talking about is what comes next. And then your response would be, what do the first three verses of the book of Habakkuk say? And I would be expected to know that, you see how complicated this gets very quickly? This is one of the reasons to have this type of intellectual exchange, you had to have large, massive portions of the Old Testament memorized. So when we see these guys, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were incredibly intelligent people. They would ask ridiculously complex questions. But here, they're just complaining. Right? Jesus kind of cuts to the heart of the issue. So what do we find out? Jesus starts his first parable. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep? Now, let's stop for a second, because right? I have to stop after every comma. A um, hundred sheep. Does this sound like a rich man or a poor man? How rich? hundred sheep. Middle class. There you go. Good. I, your expression was fantastic. It was kind of like, yeah, maybe, I mean, most of us could probably swing a hundred sheep at some point, right? Uh, my dad, uh, he, he got tired of reading about sheep in the Bible and not knowing anything about them. So he went out and he bought some sheep. Anybody want to know how long that lasted? <laughs> lasted about a month. They are the dumbest animals on the planet. They are so stupid. They will wander off anywhere. They, are, they take constant maintenance. He was wanting to get to that point where the sheep know his voice and they come up to it. Yeah, he couldn't get over the, the stupidity of them. To get over that hump to get to the good part. Didn't work. So if you have a hundred sheep and you lose one of them, and you've got a hundred and you lose one, 
I, I'm saying A plus, right? If I get a 99 on a test, that's an A plus, all right? But Jesus here says, does he not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost? Dang it. Why do we have to worry about that one? It's just one, right? 99, odds are one of them's pregnant anyway. We're going to get one back pretty soon, <laughs> right? This is not challenging here. So, so let's do the math real quick. What percentage is lost here? 1%. That's the next blank on your handout. 1%. And go after. The word for go after is to pursue. Gentlemen, this is the word that you would use to describe how you chased after your wife before she was your wife. To pursue her. You are going to accomplish this goal. And if hell or high water gets in the way, then you will put on fireproof underwear and swim trunks, and you will go through, right? Because we are going to accomplish this goal. You will pursue the one which is lost. Now, this is a really challenging word. That I looked up the definition in three or four encyclopedias and it, uh, dictionaries, and it was just very, very broad. The, the most I could condense it down into was the concept that something that is lost, and if it is not found, it will die as a result. It is a separation that leads to death. It is a separation that is going to cause great, great problems. I'll give you an example. When I grew up, um, I lived on a highway, Highway 64, going through Shelbyville, Tennessee. Shelbyville, if you've ever been there. And this highway had a, I think it's probably a 65 mile an hour speed limit. And it was, you know, the, there's the fence to our front yard, and there's the right of way, and then the, the highway. Very straightforward. And I was allowed to go check the mail. This was okay. Um, if I looked to the left and there was nothing coming. Now, if you look to the left at this highway, you can see almost a mile. Okay? You look to the right, you can see about three-quarters of a mile. I would have to have some type of major calamity, right? If I could see nothing, if I could see nothing, to go and go back. Well, my sister and I were at home one afternoon. The bus had dropped us off from school. We were at home, and we decided that we wanted to go and visit the lady across the street because she always gave us, she had the really cool cereal, okay? This is how dirt poor we were. Mama bought the cereal in the white boxes, right? Y'all familiar with the white boxes? <laughs> Today, I think they're great value. They didn't say great value. It was just like this white box. You, you could have just put a frowny face on it because that's how you felt as a kid <laughs> because all the rich kids, they got the tricks, and that with the colors on the box. I mean, it was like colors on the box. This is incredible. So Granny, we, she wasn't our grandmother. We just called her Granny. Granny lived across the street, and we wanted to go over and get this. Well, halfway over, my sister decides, this is a bad idea. I want to go back. And Dad had taught us that we always hold hands. Always hold hands. So there we are, in the middle of the highway, holding hands. She's pulling one way. I'm pulling the other. Now, I was seriously ill as a child. My sister is two years younger than I am, but she was the same size as I was. I was stunted growth-wise. I've made up for that since. Um, so we're pulling there, and nobody's winning. And guess who drives up? Dad. Dad drives up. And it is not pleasant. It is so not pleasant, I still to this day remember the, um, the beating that I got as a result of that, and never again was in the middle of the highway. It was awful. He about killed us both. And um, 
I was lost to the point of this separation was going to cause death if someone did not intervene. Does this make sense? There's a separation here from where I was supposed to be to where I was. That's what this word is. It is getting to the place where you do not need to be. Now, where were the, where were the good sheep in this story? In the where? In the wilderness. So do you think in the wilderness there are perhaps places that are not great to be? Yes, absolutely. There's probably a very confined space in the wilderness where it's actually okay to be. So outside this range is a real problem. So he's going and he's pursuing these sheep. This one sheep pursues after the one which is lost until he finds it. Verse 5, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. That was awesome. If that's for me, just take a minute. Uh, he lays it on his shoulders. Now, what do you put on your shoulders? What's that? A backpack, a purse. Do you care about those things? Yes, right, yeah. Is it parrots? Absolutely. R or matey, right? Okay, whatever. So, have you ever carried your kids around on your shoulders? Do they like to sit up there? Oh, yeah. Why? Because they can see and they're special, they'll feel loved. And at Barry's house, there's parrots, right? Absolutely. <laughs> that was awesome. He almost, did you spit it on Josh? You should check your shirt, because I think he might have gotten you there. Yeah, it's this place of protection. It's this place of safety. In the Old Testament, it talks about um, there is safety when God puts us on his shoulders, in the center of his shoulders. Uh, it's a place of great comfort. Um, in Isaiah 9, it talks about Jesus, the, the forecoming of the Messiah. And it says, what will be on his shoulders? Anybody remember? The government will be on his shoulders. And we go, the government, really? Yeah. The government will be in a safe place. It will be in a place of comfort, in a place of rest. Imagine that, right? I mean, that's almost a foreign concept. You go, how can the government be at rest? Well, it, it will be one day when Jesus comes back and makes it all right. So this place of comfort, this shoulders. And the next word is awesome. He lays it on his shoulders, crying, right? Because he's sad. No, he lays it on his shoulders what? Rejoicing, absolutely. This is leaping. This is jumping up into the air. I'm excited over what I have found. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. One? Really? He's going to have a party over one. Now, what do you think the, the Pharisees and the scribes are thinking at this point? Yeah, like, what? What? I don't know about this. Not so sure. So Jesus does what every good teacher does. He tells another story. Until you get the point. Right? So, let's look at the next verse. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin? So what percentage is lost here? You're like, okay, you're going to make me do math in the morning. This is, what percentage is lost? Ten percent. 10%. 1 out of 10 is 10% is lost. Now, some of you are going, one coin, really? I mean, is a coin that big a deal? Well, in this day and age, a lot of times what they would use, they would use coins for jewelry. So you would have a piece of jewelry, a necklace, that would have 10 pieces of coin, 10 coins in it. And ladies, do you wear jewelry that has stuff missing from it? Every one of you are like, no, you don't do that. No, no, no. Right, you, 
you, go, you do what to it? You, you either fix it, you modify it, you do something so that you can't tell something's missing. This is a problem. So what does she do? She goes sweeping her house. She lights a lamp. And then what happens? She finds it. And then what does she do? Read this passage. What does she do? She has a party. Because I found this one coin. And if I'm listening to Jesus, I'm going, one coin? Yeah, I saw the stats changed. I understand that. But it's still one coin. When is one coin worth anything? So I'll tell you when one coin is worth something. My, uh, my grandmother lives in Orlando, Florida. And every year for Christmas, we would travel down to Orlando, Florida to see her every single year. I was 20 years old before we had a Christmas where I didn't wear shorts, okay? It was a shock the day we didn't wear shorts on Christmas Day. It was like, this is weird. I mean, this, we should not have to wear a sweater. And every summer, she would come up, and she would visit us in Shelbyville, Tennessee. Now, how many of you had grandparents that when they came, your mom and your dad transformed your home into a place of immaculate neatness and cleanliness. Anybody ever experienced this? We would spend two or three days on this process of there's no dust because my mama is not going to look bad in front of her mother-in-law. That is not going to happen. So they decided uh, one night that we were going to have shrimp. This was, a, again, our family used to the white boxes of cereal. Okay, Shrimp was not on the menu ever. So my dad, in an effort to save money, uh, there's two different types of shrimp that you can buy. There's shrimp with the veins in, and there's shrimp with the veins out. Shrimp with the veins in are less expensive, but you have to do something to them to devein them. Anybody ever participated in deveining shrimp? That's a fun exercise, right? I mean, it's just like, I want to go back there. If you're eating breakfast right now, you're going, I'm done with breakfast, right? Well, one of the things that you do when you get your hands dirty is you take off your jewelry, right? Okay, so my dad took off his wedding ring. Put it on the table. Devein shrimp. I mean, I remember as a child thinking, I'm going to go play outside. I was allergic to everything that was outside, and I was still wanting to go outside because it smelled so bad. It was just awful. So I went and played outside. They got done. They had this big pile of just, uh, can't even describe it. It was awful. And this pile of shrimp. We're going to eat this shrimp. It's fantastic. And then the search began because my dad could not find his wedding ring. And it was a real problem. Because who gave him the wedding ring? Mama. So Mama did what the Luke 15 woman did. She <laughs> got the flashlight out. She looked everywhere, sweat. I mean, could not find the wedding ring. Could not find it. Grandmother goes home, couldn't find the wedding ring. About two months later, my grandmother calls. Tim, you will never guess what I found or where I found it. She said, I found your wedding ring. Where was it? It was in the hem of the robe that I was wearing when we were deveining those shrimp. He said, how? In the, did you find it in the washing machine or something? She said, no. It was clanging around in my closet. What do you mean it was clanging around? It's in a robe. There's nothing hard in a robe. A penny had also fallen into the hem. I'm not making this up. Had also fallen into the hem of her robe and she heard that in her closet. So that was the day 
that a ring became just as value as a, valuable as a penny in our house. Neat way to find things. So little things can be quite valuable. Pennies can be very important. Were it not for that penny, I don't know that he ever would have found his wedding ring. So Jesus tells the second story. And the conclusion of the second story is what? Party. party. <laughs> we're having another party. So we're two stories into Jesus' three-story stretch here, and we've had two parties already. I'm liking Jesus' stories. Right? And he, he says this sentence again. I think I skipped it at the end of the first parable. Somebody, what does that last sentence in that second parable say? There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, who else is probably near him when he's telling these stories? The sinners and the tax collectors. Right? He's telling them to the Pharisees and the and the uh, scribes, but the sinners and the tax collectors can probably hear. How do you think the sinners and the tax collectors are feeling at this story? They're like, he's showing about me. This is cool. We don't have to say a word. Nobody has ever defended us in public before. Nobody's ever taken our side. Nobody's ever thought we were valuable enough to stand up for and say, I will speak on their behalf. And then we get to the story that's probably the most famous of them all, right? The story of the prodigal son. Absolutely. So, what does it say? This is, this to me, um, oh, the blank, I'm sorry. Here's the, the curious statement again. Jesus is driving home to the religious elite that everyone matters. Everyone matters. Um, everybody you ever meet in your entire life matters to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get this really arrogant, awful, sinful attitude that, you know what, if, if so-and-so, if they would just get saved, they would be an awesome addition to the family of God. And, and yes, that's true. But anybody's name goes in that blank. The answer is yes. Every single person we ever meet has value and worth. Everyone. And we're all looking around like, oh yeah, I know this story. Okay, never mind. All right, so let's look at the next story. Parable of the lost son. And Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So what percentage is lost? Fifty. Fifty percent is lost. Man. So now we're getting, it's very easy to see the value in this at this point, right? Now we're, now we're talking about human beings, right? We've gone from something that was very low value, an animal, to something that you could exchange for anything, money, to actually a human being. So that we're stepping up in value. Verse 14, but when he had squandered all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and that citizen sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now where is Jesus when he tells this story? He's somewhere in Israel, he's talking to Jews. And for Jews... Swine are the low level of animals. This is as dirty and as filthy as it gets. Now, how many of you have ever been around a pig farm? Around a pig farm? How many of you want to live near a pig farm? I didn't see any hand go up, right? You know why? Why? They stink. <laughs> oh, my gosh, it's awful. My best friend growing up, his name was Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy, for those of you not from Shovel. Um, we call him Jeremy. We'd take out syllables of words because we were just too lazy to say them all. That's the way it worked. I was genium. <laughs> I kid you. I, I, we, we added one, yeah. My, I kid you not, my freshman roommate in college, I never forget this. He answered the phone. He said, who? Who? 
Jim, who's Jim? He, he thought, we lived on a floor with a lot of, uh, uh, they were from China. They were exchange students from China and they were academy students at Bob Jones. And he thought it was some Chinese name that he couldn't pronounce correctly. And I'm looking at him, that's me, stupid. What are you talking about, man? Give me the phone. I know, Daddy, he ain't got a lick of sense. I don't know, you know, <laughs> it was awful. So Jeremy lived about three miles away from me out in the country. He lived three miles west of where we live. And my sister and I, we would ride our bikes over to see him, because that's what you did in the country, you, you rode your bike. And we'd ride our bikes over to see him as long as the wind was blowing west. Because if the wind was blowing east, <laughs> I never once spent the night at Jeremy's house. He spent the night at our house all the time. But I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It stank so bad. It was awful. So a lot of times we focus on in this story just the fact that, oh, a Jewish boy, he would never want to be around pigs. Nobody wants to be around pigs. <laughs> I don't care who you are. It's bad. It's awful. It's just, it gets in your clothes. It gets in your skin. It just, it's horrible. And he's not just around them. He gets convinced. In verse 16, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And if you've ever slopped hogs, you know. Oh, God. I'm going to get sick thinking about this. That, no, you're just not ever going there. Think how low you would have to be. And then the next phrase is so sad. And nobody gave him anything. See, his buddy that he joined with, that gave him this great job, wouldn't feed him. That's pretty hardcore. When you're in a spot where no one will even feed you. Pretty bad. So, verse 17. When he came to himself, he has this epiphany. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. He was moved. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Now, was this a necessity? Did he have to have a robe when he came home? No. Okay. And put a ring on his hand. Did he have to have a ring when he came home? No. And sandals on his feet. Now, this is a little debatable, right, in our society. We're like, yeah, he probably needed to have some shoes. He really didn't. He didn't have to. It wasn't necessary for his survival. What did the son go home for? To eat. And what does the father do? He just lavishes on him. Pours it on. And now, verse 23, the son's probably going, man, this is getting pretty good, but I'm hungry. <laughs> verse 23, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And wouldn't it be awesome if the story ended right here? If the point of the story was to be happy when your son came back, yeah. But he's still got to drive home this point to those that are listening. See, the sinners and tax collectors are welcome in the family of God. Uh, the story has to continue to show the religious elite their sin. The story has to continue to show me my sin. Because I've been there. 
I've been on the sun side of this story, and I've been on the religious elite going, uh-uh, uh-uh, you stay out. This is not for you, right? Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, right? And he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Come here, Chris. I want to show you guys this word. This word pleaded is a very visual word. Face them. This is the word pleaded. It's now, prob prob well, probably not, because he was ticked, right? He was ticked. It's, it's I'm going to bring you close, and we're going to have a conversation. This is not, dude, what's the problem with you? No, no, no. This is, I'm going to bring you close, and we're going to have a conversation. Okay? Thank you, Chris. He pleaded with him. Verse 29, so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these, I can just hear this arrogance in his voice, right? I have a hard time reading it without expression. Lo, these many years have I been serving you and never transgressed your commandment at any time. Seriously? No. No. And we all have been to this place where we want to exaggerate how great we are in comparison of some wretched poor thing. Right? Now, he might have been a really great son, but at some point, at some point, he did something wrong. Something. Right? And you, yet you never gave me your young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, right? This son of yours. You ever had this? Yeah, I was going to say, you ever had this conversation with your spouse, right? Do you know what your son did today? That's <laughs> like, I think he probably did something that I've done, and I'm in trouble now for it because he copied it, right? That's, that's what my son did today. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did I miss something in the story here? Where did the harlots show up in the story? Did I miss this? Did I skip over a verse? Have we read about harlots? No. The son's reputation preceded him. That's how bad it was. Just bad. You killed the fatted calf. In verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And at this point, I can hear the sinners and the tax collectors going, Woo! Amen! Glory to God! That's awesome! Great sermon! What do you all think about that? And the Pharisees and the scribes, what is their rebuttal? Oh, I'm sorry, that's the end of the chapter, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because when you've been put in your place, there's not a lot to say. Right? There's not a lot to say at this point. So, one of, the, uh, one of my heroes of the faith, a guy named Irby Sullivan, he died about six years ago. And um, this is a guy that I didn't know that my wife knew when my wife and I were dating. Uh, most of you probably visited your in-law's house at some point during your courtship and had a meal together. Right, And if you're the guy, this is the meal where you just don't want to spill anything. You don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to come out of the bathroom with toilet paper on your foot. I mean, you're going to eat whatever her mama makes. Right? And it is going to be the greatest thing ever because the objective is to win her hand, and we're not going to mess that up. Right? So we're having this conversation at my, my wife's parents' house, and we're talking about church and doing different things, and... And I was saying, yeah, this reminds me of a guy in our church that when he gets really excited, he goes, well, glory. 
I grew up in a southern church. This is what you said when you got really excited. And uh, I saw her daddy kind of turn his head and said, really? I said, yeah, his name's Irby. There are about five people at the table in her family, and they all, Irby? Irby what? I said, I think his last name's Sullivan. Orcs were put down at this point. I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> I had like one thing to do, <laughs> and I missed it. And they were like, you know Brother Irby? Yeah, I know Brother Irby. He's like, Brother Irby's a charter member of our church. Oh, all right. I hit a home run. I didn't even know it. I hit a home run. This is great. I said, oh, yeah, Brother Irby, he preached a sermon a couple years ago at our church, and I'll never forget it. It was about the prodigal son. And I'm going to give you Brother Irby's outline right here. Said, Brother Irby said there was a breakup, there was a hookup, there was a wake-up, there was a rise-up, there was a fess-up, there was a dress-up, and a cheer-up. He liked to rhyme. Brother Irby was awesome. And there was this bond because we knew somebody. That was my rabbit trail. So, what's the point of this story, of these stories? Well, the sheep was lost because it wandered off. And sometimes we just wander away. Right? We've, we've all been there. We just n No conscious, purposeful effort. We just wake up and we go, how did I get over here? Doesn't feel right. Well, the coin was lost because somebody dropped it. It fell out. Some error, right? And sometimes we're failed by others. Maybe there was a bad design in the coin, jewelry. Maybe somebody just slipped through the hand. Maybe there's a hole in the purse. Something was wrong. And the son was lost because he was prideful. And sometimes we just deliberately choose to go, I'm going to go off the path here. And I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to do it. And in all these cases, when reconciliation occurs, we are to be excited. Right? Our pastors this morning are going to be preaching a sermon uh, that has a great deal to do with hell. And it's going to be a lot of, you know, here's the choice. Which choice are you going to make? And if somebody gets saved this morning, we are going to partay because it is great and I don't care who it is we're going to get excited about that because this is a wonderful thing so personalize what do I do with this story well number one stay focused on Jesus because he is the way in case you missed Jesus in the story because he was telling the story Jesus is the way back to the flock right he's the way back to the purse or to the jewelry and he's the way back to the father for the son he's, he's the path here Beautiful picture of Jesus. So stay focused on Jesus. Number two, stay engaged within the church. Because a lot of times the church can, y'all ever been bowling? You play bumper bowling? You know what I'm talking about? Where the little bumpers come up? It's, it's the only way I can bowl because I, I really suck at bowling, but that's okay. You, you can roll something that's going to go in the gutter and this little bumper just kind of nudges it back over and you knock some pins down. You're like, ah, I feel pretty good about myself. That's awesome. And sometimes that's what the church does. It provides just enough structure to keep you from going off into the gutter and going, oh, you know what? I just needed a little nudge there. Didn't need somebody to smack me upside the head, just needed a little nudge. And then number three, stay humbled before God because none of us has this thing figured out. Right? None of us has this thing figured out. We're all still working on this. So, Luke 15. I had a ton of fun studying this week for this. Uh, next week, we start a five-week series on the story of Joseph. So we'll be back in Genesis, and that'll be finishing up our Genesis all right, let's do our prayer requests, and then you guys are uh, dismissed, and we'll go worship the Lord. Thanks for coming.